Father, we, uh, we are humbled uh, by your grace. We are humbled by your mercy. Um, it's something that we can never fully grasp hold of. And as we approach you and as we learn more about you in the word, uh, it seems like the more we learn about you, the higher you are, the more your grace, your grace and your mercy increases, and the more we see ourselves as in need of you. So as we, as we get into your word today, and as that gap between us and you grows a little bit more, let us lean on your grace that's found in Christ. As we get into to the book of John today, and we're talking about abiding in Christ, I pray that you would show us what it means to abide, Father. And that with our lives, with our hearts, with, um, with our actions, with our words, let us lean in close to you. So I pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, election, election day is coming up. Some of you have already voted. Uh, I believe it's Tuesday. Some of you did your early voting registration. Um, so we all label ourselves in one way or another. We want people to know something about us, right? We, um, it's important that they know certain things and so we we put that out there for people to know so we attach our name to a statement or an identity or a belief Um, and this is none more apparent than when you get to election time and i know those political ads bless your heart um they do mine um it's like i have to go back and research after i see them um so you see it and they see you see newspaper you see tv you see radio it's all over the place so what they're doing is they're, they're labeling themselves. These politicians, they're attaching their name and their identity to a certain, certain belief or a certain system that they want you to know that they, they hold tight to this and this is who they are because they want you to vote for them. So we do that too. We label ourselves. Um, so if I would venture to do so, so I, am, um, so I am, what I would want you to know first is I'm a follower of Christ. I love Jesus. Um, he is everything he is the only hope that we have for salvation. And that's, first and foremost, that's what I want you to know about me. Second, I'm a, I'm a husband to Amanda. Um, Brandon mentioned my wife, Amanda, and she really is the better half. Um, the longer you, uh, the more you get to know us, the more you're going to find that true that I married way above my pay grade. Um, so, and that's, she's shaking her head no, but it's true. Uh, also, I want you to know that I'm a father and I love, one of the best parts of my day is, is coming in, and um, we've trained them really well that they come in, and they, they yell, Daddy, and they run to me and give me hugs and kisses, and that just makes my day so bright. Um, but I also, I love wrestling with them, and um, sometimes that means that I'm laying prostrate on the floor, and they decide a cannonball on my back is a good idea. <laughs> so I love, I love my wife, love my kids, and love my Savior. So Today, the label aspect, the label idea, we're going to see that in the book of John. So I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. 
and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's John 15, 1 through 11. So for those of you who are taking notes, um, so the main idea of, of this passage and of my sermon is Jesus is the true vine. So Jesus is the true vine and those who are his abide in him, produce fruit, and receive blessings through being attached to the vine. So I'll say that one more time. So Jesus is the true vine, and those who are his abide in him, produce fruit, and receive blessings of being attached to the vine. So my points today, and I'll just go ahead and lay them out for you. Uh, we're going to see in verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the source of all fruit. So verses 1 through 3, the source of all fruit. Verses 4 through 6, we're going to see the role of the branch. And then the last section uh, is actually going to be from multiple places in there. It's seven blessings of being attached to the true vine. So that's where we're going today. So just to give you a little bit of context. So John 15 is not happening in a vacuum. We always want to go back to find the context. Context means that we're trying to see how or, or what is happening around the scripture that's going to impact how we interpret the scripture. So something that Brandon does really well um, so the context here is Jesus is talking to his disciples before the Feast of Passover. So this is just prior to him being arrested, just prior to him going to the cross. So all this is happening, and it's the night. It's at night. This is the same night that he's going to be betrayed by Judas, and he's going to be arrested. So you've already seen, uh, and this is called the farewell discourse. Um, so this is like Jesus' last message. So not only is Jesus going to be labeling himself by saying, I am the true vine, He's going to, this is the last time he's going to label himself in this way. So it's really significant. So we're going to, we're going to see that. So he's already in chapter 13, he washed his disciples' feet. So he started off in 13 and he's done that this night. He's proclaimed to him, or he's proclaimed to them that there's going to be one that's going to betray me. Um, He's given them a new commandment to love one another just as he loved them. And he proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to know God. Um, he foretells his departure, and he also promises his Holy Spirit. He's not going to leave them without a helper. And so he's told his disciples all this. So getting into my first point, verses 1 through 3, the source of all fruit. So Jesus starts off by saying, I am. I am is not a throwaway. Like I said, it's a label. We, we want people to know something about it. So he says, I am, and it, it kind of rings back. It makes you think to all the other I am statements you've heard, going all the way back to Exodus. And Jesus, or, uh, God says to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus is identifying himself as he is the I am. He actually says this. There's seven I am passages where he compares himself to something that would be recognizable to the people uh, or to his disciples or to the people around. So he says in uh, chapter six, he says, I am the bread of life. That was the first one. He says, I'm the light of the world in chapter eight. He says, I'm the door of the sheep in chapter 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now we're at, I am the true vine. 
So, so we've got the I am statement going on. It says, I am the true vine. And let's hone in on what it means by true. So I am the true vine. Jesus doesn't say he's just the vine or a vine. He, he, he says, I am the true vine. There's significance to him being true there. Why does he choose to say that? Why doesn't he just say, why doesn't he say, I'm, I'm a vine? Um, why am I? So why, why does he do that? So his disciples, they're, they're being Israelites, they're, they're going to identify themselves as the chosen vine. This happens all throughout there. This happens in the Old Testament. And God identifies the nation of Israel as the chosen vine. And so the, the God's hope for Israel was that they would be a vine where the life that God provides and the message that God had for the people would be a vine that spreads forth fruit throughout the whole world. The nation of Israel was supposed to be that. They're supposed to fill that purpose. Um, I would invite you to go to Psalm, uh, Psalms uh, chapter 80, verses 8 through 11. The disciples, they would have known, like when, they, when he said that, something would have clicked. They would have, they would have been like, oh, he, he's about to say something. Like he's about to say something that we need to listen to. Um, so Psalm 80, verses 8 through 11. It says... You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So this is, you see the nation of Israel, just the formation of the nation of Israel coming out from Egypt being talked about here. So you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. We're going to stop there, but if you read on a little bit farther, it talks about the failings of the, of the vine, and the vine's not fulfilling its purpose. Um, if you turn over to Isaiah, I promise I won't have you turn in too much today. But Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and verse 7. If you get a chance to, this is a really good picture. Uh, I'm only going to read a couple of verses for you. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and verse 7 say, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Verse 7 says, for the, vi- for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So if there's any question at all, he just answered that for us. So the vineyard of the house, or the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasing, are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So it's not hard to see from this passage that, that God had a plan for the nation, right? So he had his plan, the good fruit that he wanted to them, that wanted them to produce. You can see it in verse seven. Um, he looked for justice. He wanted them to be justice there. Um, he wanted righteousness, but what he got was bloodshed. What he got was an outcry. So the very thing they were, the very reason they were made a people before God, they're not fulfilling that purpose because they're doing the very opposite of God wanted them. What he wanted them to do. So as the true vine. Jesus is saying, as the true vine, Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy 
In Isaiah 49.6, 49.6 says, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant. Or, sorry, let me start over again. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the, the prophecy in Isaiah, later on in Isaiah, he is fulfilling the very thing that the nation didn't do and is calling about this one who will come and he will be a light to the nations. This tells us that, that God died for everyone, for the nations. Um, doesn't matter who you are, Jesus died um, to fulfill that purpose. So honing in on the word vine now. So I am the true vine. So Jesus is boldly proclaiming this. Um, a vine, it nourishes, it produces fruit. So anything that a branch produces is because it's attached to the vine. And Jesus is the vine that God God had always intended. He is setting the stage to say that those who are a part of him will produce fruit. So he's kind of like, when we say setting the stage, he's he's laying the groundwork to tell his disciples, if you are in me, which he's going to say, if you are in me, then I am in you and and you will produce fruit. There's There's something that happens when you are attached to the vine. So he's saying he is the source of all good fruit. So moving on, so you've got this picture of the vine. Now we're going to move on to the vine dresser. So there's a couple of different players going on. You've got Jesus saying he's the vine, then he introduces this idea of the vine dresser, and then you've got the branches that we'll talk about in a minute. So looking at the vine dresser, verses 1 and 2, it says, my father is the vine dresser. So vine dresser is just another way of saying um, a farmer. Or a gardener, one who, one who, whose job it is, is he's the owner of the vineyard. He's the one who um, cultivates. He's the one who um, basically does everything to protect and, and to help grow the fruit, make the conditions right, to do all of those things. That's the, that's the role, uh, that's the role of, the, of the vine dresser. So ultimately, he's shaping the health of the vineyard, um, and it rests in the hands of that vine dresser. So he talks specifically about two of the roles uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 2. So he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it, bear, that it may bear more fruit. So one, he removes the unfruitful branches. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a minute. But he also, he prunes the fruitful branches um, so that they're going to produce more fruit. So pruning, if you don't know what pruning is, I, I didn't. I've, uh, I've got the farthest thing that you can think of from a green thumb um, I think it's a black thumb because everything I touch dies um, as far as plants. Um, so, but pruning is a practice that, the, that a gardener or farmer uses where they're basically cutting the branch back. And as they cut the branch back, uh, some, something odd happens. Instead of, instead of, and and it's, a, it's a perfectly good branch, right? So these branches are not just branches that, that don't bear fruit because it says that every branch that does not bear fruit, my father takes away. These are branches that actually are fruit-bearing branches, they're, they're doing what is intended, but they're still being pruned back. So they're being cut away. So why would you cut away um, something that's good? Something that's doing what it's supposed to do? Well, it says it's because he knows that it's going to make them bear more fruit. So to the untrained eye, it doesn't make sense. To me, it, pruning doesn't make sense. I, I cut my bushes at home, and I'm like, this looks horrible. Um, but somebody who knows what they're talking about told me it was good. And three years later... My bushes are, are getting very wide and very tall, and they're starting to, and they're just starting to, to really fill out. So, but to the untrained eye, it doesn't make sense. So why would, why would you cut perfectly good fruit-bearing branches? Um, 
So none of us would really, none of us would willingly, if, we're, if we are the branches, none of us are willingly going to say, God, prune me. If it's cutting away, if it's, if it's, caused, if it's hardship that comes into our life, right? If it's, if it's willingly bringing pain unto ourselves or asking for pain to happen so that we would be more like Christ, we are not going to ask for those things, right? But in the midst of pruning, it, it doesn't always look great. It may be difficult or hard to see how a circumstance or a difficulty may be used for good or for God's glory. It, it may be hard to that, but we can trust in God's promises that when he is pruning us back, when pain is coming into our lives, when hurt is coming into our lives, that there is a purpose behind it. Romans 8 Chapter, chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 28 of chapter 8 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So again, in Hebrews 12, 11, uh, 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline from God, that's my quotes, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we've got these promises that say, you know what? Even in the midst of pain, God is at work. God is the vine dresser who is cultivating his vineyard, who is going to, who's going to build you up, who's going to make you produce more fruit, ultimately for your joy, because pruning is for your joy and it's also for his glory. So, this, so pruning happens in, in, in every, every day, whether it's big or small. Um, about 12 months ago, like we, my wife and I would not have willingly asked for this to happen, but we had a miscarriage about 12 months ago. And, um, it's in those times that you don't, you don't ask God, God, please give me the, one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me in my life, uh, today, because it would really bless my heart to, to go through pain. We don't, we don't say that we don't do that. Uh, we didn't do that. And we were in pain. This wasn't a pain that just like, I'll stop my toe and 10 minutes later it's going to be better. It's weeks and weeks going into months, going into um, coming up to the, the due date of that what would have been the due date for the child and the pain being reopened again. Um, we, don't, we don't ask for those things. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take many forms. Like it's not just, it's not just miscarriage. That's just an example uh, it's not just miscarriage, but it can, look, it can look like different things for different people. You could be uh, in this room. Odds are somebody's suffering from a serious illness or knows someone that's suffering from a serious illness. So it could, be, um, it could be chronic. It could be something that's been with you for a long time. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be something that you, somebody that you held very dear and you lost. Of course, you're not going to ask for these things. And you may, you may be asking, God, why? And it's okay Please know that I'm not saying it's not okay to do that. It is okay to say, God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. Even Paul said it. Paul had the thorn in his flesh, and he was like, God, if it's your will to remove this from me, please remove this from me. He was, he was in discomfort. He was in pain. It could be unfaithfulness or betrayal from a friend. It could be uh, infertility. It could be persecution for your belief. Um, it could be losing your home. It could be big things, but it can also be small things. So pruning doesn't just have to look like some major life-changing event. Pruning can be uh, something as small as being tr- stuck in traffic. I know that sounds, when you put it on the scale, it doesn't sound like that much. But it could be stuck in traffic. It could be someone eating the last cookie um, that you had your heart set on. 
And it's in those moments of being pruned. Like what happens in the pruning process, what God is wanting and what we're going to see is that as we're being pruned and as we're going through a life-changing event, it's easy to eventually say, you know what? How I respond in that moment is going to be glorifying to God. And that's my goal as I'm, as I'm following after God and something bad happens. As sin happens um, and sin affects us, then we know that something good is going to be down the road because we're promised that in Scripture. But how do we respond in that moment? And that's one of those things where it's going to look different. But even the, the being stuck in traffic, how do we respond when we're stuck in traffic? We get upset, right? We get angry. And in those moments, we're not producing fruit. So those are definitely like all moments in, in our lives. Like every breathable moment is an opportunity to produce fruit for Christ and fruit for his glory. So even in, even in the, 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 the last cookie not being there, I become angry because the cookie's not there. But my, what, it re- what it reveals in my heart was I wanted that cookie more than I wanted to, to love the other person who got the cookie. And that's something that, you know, in the future, I'm going to willingly offer up the cookie even though I like cookies. So I'll get away from cookies now. But if you like, you can bring me cookies. So, so let me just, I just want to reiterate and just let you know, it's, it's not a light thing um, that you're being pruned. And we don't want to make light of anything that, that's, that's going on in your life because every, every situation that you're going through is legitimate and it's hard. Um, that's why we hate sin, right? Sin entered the world and death entered the world and we, we hate sin because of the effects of it. And some of you are really, really hurting right now. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. That's what the church is for. That's what we're here for is in your hurt, we're going to come alongside of you and we're, we're going to weep with you because that's what, that's what Jesus said. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. We're going we're gonna to do that as the church and then we're eventually, as, as, it starts to, as you start to come around and you're, you're not uh, in mourning we're going to remind you of truth and we're going to remind you of the promises of God, how he has not left you and he has not forsaken you. He doesn't love you any less because you went through pain. But he actually, eventually there's going to be a time where you need to hear God is doing something from that, which is what happened with, our, with, the, with the miscarriage. We, we never would have chose it, but since that time, we've been able to minister to multiple families who've gone through miscarriages. Because, and, and it wouldn't have happened because we would have, we have no idea what they're feeling in, a, in that moment. We would have had no idea. But now we know the pain that's involved with that. And we can now speak truth into somebody's lives. And there's a legitimacy there to our message and a love for Christ that comes through our message at this point. So let me comfort you. Those who are hurting, let me comfort you with just a few passages to think on. So 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3 says, He is the God of comfort who comforts us in our affliction. So not only is He, He's not just pruning, but at the same time, He is comforting us there. So He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the very same comfort we receive from Him. Psalm 23, 4, very familiar passage. His rod and staff comfort as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 119, 50 says, his promise gives comfort and affliction. And these are paraphrased. Please don't go there and read it because it doesn't say that. The Holy Spirit brings comfort as well. So how are you being pruned? It's happening all the time. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are being pruned. The Father is going to prune you. If you're not going through hardship, you don't, we're not going to pray for hardship, but, but you are going to be pruned so that you will produce more fruit. So what does in me mean in verse 2? So every branch in me 
means that those who claim to be Christ's. So, verse 2 says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So, those who claim to know Christ, so they're in, they're in me, but their lives are not bearing fruit. So it shows, this is just a glimpse into those who, who claim to know Christ, that not all of us are following Jesus, who are following Jesus for a time, or hear his teaching, just because we hear the teaching or just because we follow for a, a short amount of time doesn't mean that we're actually his. I could be preaching truth here, but if God hasn't worked in your heart and just because you're hearing it and just because you're coming to church, that doesn't mean that you're his. If you're his, then you will bear fruit. So it really begs the question um, of how, at this point, how are branches prepared? So we need to talk for a second about how branches are prepared. So if you look at verse 3, verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And it doesn't say branch there, but... Um, so already you are clean but the, because of the word I have spoken to you. So having just washed the disciples' feet just a couple, the same night, um, just a couple of chapters before, he's already washed their feet. And he says, um, he basically says, if you don't let me wash your feet, because... Doesn't Peter right there, Peter says, no, 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 I don't want you to wash my feet. You, don't, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. Jesus says, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. If I don't wash your feet, then you're not going to be clean because I have to wash your feet. So it just gives us a glimpse into, into Jesus. So a branch can't come to the vine and say, hey, I'm going to attach myself to this and I'm going to zip tie and I'm going to be attached and I'm going to produce fruit. Um, it doesn't happen like that. But it's the very definition of grace that the vine attaches the branch. The vine doesn't have to do that. We don't have, the vine has no prerogative to do that. God has no prerogative to save any one of us, but it's just his mercy and his grace that even a single one of us can say that we are his. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. If you're taking notes, please write Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the vine doesn't say, all right, branch, you have to do X and Y and Z, and you have to do them to, to my satisfaction in order for you to be considered mine. When you think about it, Jesus is God, God is perfect. Right? So God is perfect. And in his perfection, he says, come to me. And he doesn't say, I need you to do these things. Because if we're imperfect, how can something that is imperfect ever do something that would please perfection? So every attempt at a perfect act that we do is going to fall extremely short of pleasing to God. But he says, no, he doesn't say that. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't come to me trying to please me with your actions. Just come to me and rest because I'm offering you rest. Going on to point two. The role of the branch. So there are two roles that the branches have. One is just to abide in the vine. So role one of the branch is to abide in the vine. Role two is to produce fruit. So what does it mean to abide? So abide is a verb. Um, when we typically think of verb, we think, okay, run. But, you know, we run, right? It's something that we act upon. 
jump, swim, dive. Like these are all, these are all verbs. And I'm not meaning to say this to, to belittle your understanding of what a verb is. It just, abide is, it's weird. It's a weird, it's a weird word. So it carries with the idea of, of looking to another for, the source, source, for a source of strength or sustenance. It's not, a, it's not something that says, come and like, produce effort. It's not saying, come and do. It's just, come and be. So by abiding, the branches, they're not striving to gain the vine. So we've already talked about that. The, the branches are not striving to gain anything. They've already got it. The branches have already got it. They're holding fast to the vine because it's life to them. You think about it. A branch being attached to a vine never wants to, to be separated from the vine because a branch is going to die at that point. So abiding equals life to the branch. Not abiding equals death. So just as an illustration, ultimately any illustration is going to fall short um, here. And most illustrations fall short. But imagine you, you're weak and you fall easily into a certain sin. So you, you know your sin struggle. Think about it for a second. You know what you struggle with. For most of us, it's not too far of a stretch to think about this. Like we, we have something that just immediately comes to our mind. But you know you have a friend. And anytime this friend's around you you're, and you're spending time with this friend, you're not tempted to fall or to sin in the way that you normally do. So as long as you're in their presence and as long as they're around you and you're keeping them with an eye shot and they know what you're doing and you're around them or whatever... It's strength to you to fight sin. You don't have to wor- you're not worried about fighting that sin anymore because you know that they give you strength to do that. That's abiding. Abiding is looking to that friend. And so if you're abiding in that friend, what happens when the friend, uh, your friend starts to walk um, and you start to walk on your own again? Your friend starts to leave and you're trying to walk on your own. Um, you, you long for that friend again. That's, that's the example that we have when we look at Christ. When we start to stray or we start to sin, what we're doing is it's not, it's not the vine walking away from us. It's us saying, you know what, vine? I am life unto myself. I can live under myself. I can produce fruit by myself. I can do all this by myself and I don't need you. But what happens ultimately is that, you know what, fruit's not coming and it doesn't happen. And we start to sin and we start to fall into temptation. All these things start to happen. And it leaves us wanting the vine even more. So just an encouragement. If you are Christ, if you are Christ. And you are, are you, you're finding that your joy in him is not where it should be. And that you're starting to fall into sin and temptation. Don't, you need to think about it as, all right, God has not moved. But I'm, I, I may have moved away from God. And if you're not longing to return to Christ, that's really saying something. It's saying something about your heart. So heed the warnings there. If you're not, if you're not a producing fruit and you're not running back to Christ in that moment to be thinking that thinking about that jesus says in verse four he says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me so we need to remind ourselves that abiding in christ is just a continuation of our of the call he had to come to him so that that um that passage in matthew 11 come to me you who are heavy laden and i will give you rest Abiding isn't some new command that he gives. He's not saying, all right, now that you've come to me, I'm going to heap all these things back on you that you have to do. And that, that, come to call, or that call to come to him and rest isn't a one-time call. It's a call that continues on as long as we're alive. Jesus is saying, come to me 
abide in me in the same way that I gave you rest before, I'm going to continue to give you rest. You're not responsible for, for doing those things or for pleasing me or doing those things. You just have to abide in me. You have to stay in me. See that I'm your source of strength. See that I'm your sustenance. And it doesn't say explicitly that I abide in you, but Jesus is referencing that there. So he says, abide in me and I in you. So Jesus is saying, I abide in you. And this is not a small thing. The Savior of the universe, God himself is saying, I abide in you. That's, I mean, just think about that for a second. God is saying, I abide in you. Any, of the, any source of strength, any source of, of want that we would have to do, do something that's pleasing to God, we can now do because God is abiding in our hearts and we, we have the Savior of the universe uh, who is giving us strength to do that. Romans 8, 14-17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to go back into slavery to sin or slavery to doing, trying to do acts of righteousness. You did not receive that spirit, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So how do we, how do we abide? So we said that abiding is just leaning in close to the branch, right? So we, we read the Bible. We meditate on the Bible. We pray we memorize scripture. We respond to pruning by drawing close to the vine. So that's the point of that when he prunes us, sometimes there's not much of the branch left. Sometimes our pain and our, our hurt is so much that there's nothing else that we can do but just say, you know what, God, I, I have nothing left. I have nothing left. I'm going to draw close to you. So we also, in the same vein, we are, we are attached. So we are branches, branches being plural, to one vine. So the church comforts in the same way that God comforts so we comfort branches that are being pruned because we're not all being pruned at the same time our desire our desire then if we're abiding in him is just is to make him known so just like I would sing the praises of a friend that friend who makes me strong I'm going to tell you you know what this guy is awesome I put my arm around him I'm going to say this guy is awesome I don't have to tell you all the reasons why because it's something that I struggle with but when I'm around him I don't struggle anymore right so we also, when we're abiding in him, we resist the devil and we, we run towards God. That's James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the second role of a branch is to bear fruit. Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what is fruit? fruit um in, in the in the word you your minds may be really quickly going to galatians 5 um that's where i went uh, galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control so those fruit is what's being produced by the branches through the life-giving nourishment of the vine so uh, there's a theologian named andrew murray andrew murray says in his work it's called abide in christ he says a fruit-bearing tree lives not for itself, but wholly for those to whom its fruit brings refreshment and life. And so the branch exists only and entirely for the sake of the fruit. To make glad the heart of the vine dresser is its object, its safety, and its glory. So it's a funny picture. 
you imagine that. So if we are a tree, just imagine. So we are, or we can just use the, the branches. So we being branches, if it's just a funny picture to see, you know what? I'm being a branch. I'm going to take a stapler and I'm going to take an apple or I'm going to take a grape and I'm going to staple that grape onto my branch. What's going to happen is the, the grapes are going to sour. They're going to rot. And it's going to be very evident very quickly that I'm not a fruit producing branch, but that's what we do a lot of times. That happens because we're not abiding. So if our role is to bear fruit, the only way we can bear fruit is by abiding. Moving on to verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So what does it mean that you can do nothing apart from Christ? Is he saying, um, is he saying nothing? I mean, that can't be true. That can't be true that he's meaning nothing because we do all kinds of things, right? So there's, there are people who, I mean, I, I, could, I could leave here and I can go drive my car and that's not nothing. Um, I can come and shake hands, that's not nothing. Um, I mean, there are, there are people who are not Christ and they do, they do some pretty great things, right? Um, you have people, you have inventors, you have, you have people that, do, that, that have created things that we enjoy that make our life easier. That's, that's not nothing. So what is he saying there? So it's referring to you cannot produce fruit apart from Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit, that are in Galatians, uh, the, in Galatians 5, you also have the works of the flesh there. So this is the, the nothing refers to fruit, but there is an opposite. So if you're not abiding in Christ, these are the things that start to, walk, they start to come out. It says in uh, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 21, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. It goes on. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 17, so living by the Spirit there and gratifying the flesh at the same time are just as impossible as connecting two north ends of a magnet. Have you ever, y'all ever done that in school? You remember doing that uh, experiment where you take, two, you take two of the same poles and you try to connect them and it just doesn't happen. So the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are not going to be able to, to happen at the same time there. You're either, you're either producing the, the works of the Spirit or you're producing the works of the flesh so Jesus is, he's, a, he's a reiterating the point here in um, John 15. Uh, he's reiterating the point that just to pave, way, pave the way, sorry, to pave the way to describe what happens to the branches that do not produce fruit. So what happens to those branches that do not produce fruit? Because we talked, we said we would come back to this. So Jesus says in verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So these branches that these branches don't bear fruit. We, we need to. They're not bearing fruit because they're not abiding. So we've already seen in verse two that the vine dresser. It's the vine dresser that takes away these unfruitful branches. So the branches are useless in the eyes of God. They don't serve a purpose other than being burned. So these do these branches? Do they represent true believers in Christ? Um, can you lose your salvation? In other words. Can you be walking? Can you be a branch for a little while and then not be a branch that produces fruit? No, no, he's not saying that. The, the branches that are being burned are representing unbelievers. You look at the parable of the soils. 
And some of the, 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 the sower was sowing seed in the soils, and some was sowed on a good, some was sowed on the rocky soil, some was sown um, where the sun scorched it uh, on the path. You've got these different soils where the gospel is going forth and the message of Christ is going forth. And for a while, some are, some are following along, but then whenever trials or difficulties or circumstances or anything comes up that challenges and challenges their faith, they fall away. And it's not that they fall away from salvation, it's it just proves that they were never actually saved. So, John speaks of this idea as well. In verse, uh, chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, that idea of, of the fruit stapling, going back to that, the fruit stapling, that there are those who would staple fruit on and they wanna, they're going to be imitators for a while um, and they haven't fallen away, but they do go out and sometimes they go out and they try to lead astray. 1 John 2, 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued, but they went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. So, to be clear, one who trusts in Christ for salvation and abides in him cannot lose their salvation. So you need to hear that today. But if you're not producing fruit and you're not desiring that, that source of strength, you're not desiring to abide, I reiterate the warning to you. You need to be careful there because that's telling you something. You need others to speak into your life. So test yourself. This is where we test ourselves. Look at your life and try to think of ways that you see fruit being produced. But at the same time, remember, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful, right? So while we're testing ourselves, we need to invite others to come in and test us as well. You need to have somebody who knows you do the very same thing to you. Somebody who knows you and is not going to sugarcoat it. Who's going to be able to call you out and say, you know what, you're in sin here. You need to repent of this sin because that's love. That's love. Sometimes love doesn't just look all like hugs and smiles and and all of that. Sometimes love is, is telling someone what they need to hear, even though it's going to hurt their feelings. Because if I was, and this is just an illustration, and I shared this with the youth today. If I'm walking in the road, or I'm walking down the road, and I start to cross, and there's a semi about 20 feet away, 15 feet away, it's, it would be the most unloving thing you could do to just let me be hit by the semi. So you're going to call out to me, and you're going to say, no, 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 you need to get out of the way. I, I'm even willing to pull you out of the way. That's love. So we as a church have a responsibility to one another to love one another in that way. It also means that we have to have thick skin um, because it's not, it's not easy to hear those things. We have to be able to toughen up, to be able to take reproof and rebuke and correction because it's ultimately going to train us in righteousness. So moving to my last point. So this is the more, I guess, happy, happy point. So... Seven blessings of being attached to the vine. And it's okay to want these things. It's okay to want blessing from God. And the good thing is, is that God wants to bless us. So there are seven blessings in being, of being attached to the vine that we can see uh, in John 15. For the first one, I'm going to go back to, to verse 2. Uh, verse 2, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So first point, we are cared for by the Father who cherishes his people. So I'm going to drop the illustration. I'm just going to talk about God now. It's, there's no more allegory, no more vine, vine dresser talk. It's Jesus, God, us. So we are cared for by a father who cherishes his people. We can trust God as he molds and shapes our lives. As, he, as we experience pain and hardship, he's doing it to bring him glory. That, 
the work he has started in those who believe will be seen to its completion. The vine dresser does not want, the vine dresser's desire is that no branch will be burned, but there are branches that don't abide in him, and therefore it happens. So he's, as much as we want to please God, God wants us to love him and enjoy him. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Second blessing, the life of Christ abides in us. I said it's no small thing. Verse 4, abide in me and I abide in you so we have now what the nation of israel could only dream and hope to have i'm sure them being the chosen vine would have loved to have the spirit of god god himself abiding in their hearts so that they could produce the fruit that he called them to we have the holy of holies you go back and you read the old testament and you see the holy of holies is this place that cannot even be it cannot even be like attempted to go into because we are unho- unholy people. You know what? Now we have that in our hearts. God is residing in our hearts. That's where God resided in the Old Testament was in the Holy of Holies. He's now living with inside us, inside of us. Point number three, we can approach the God and Father, the God, God the Father, and make requests in his name. Verse seven, verse seven says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this prayer is not a blank check. It's not something that says, you know what? God, I want a car. Give me a car. Or God, I want to win the lottery. I, want, I need to win the lottery. It's not that. God, he's not saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask anything and you wish and it will be given to you. It's not the blank check. It's a fruit. So we're talking about bearing fruit here. That prayer is in and of itself a fruit that's being produced. And that fruit is going to be directed towards decreasing self and increasing God. So how, do you, how can you judge or how, can, how is that a blessing? It's going to be a blessing because it's going to be a litmus test. That the more you are abiding in him, the more your, your prayers are going to resemble the prayers of Christ. That you're going to care about the kingdom of God being, being expanded here on earth. Fourth point, fourth blessing. There are evidences of our salvation. Verse 8 says... By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Many times the evil one, Satan, he's going to tempt us to doubt what God has done or is doing in our hearts. It's in these times that we can look to the fruit that God is producing in us. So it's not just us looking at the fruit that we're we're producing, but it's also the church coming alongside of us and and saying, you know what, I see God's grace here. Kind of like what I did at the beginning when we visited those two times. When I say it's an evidence of grace... That's not, a, that's not an aside comment. That's not a light comment. An evidence of grace means God is working here. So you have to realize that. There are evidences of grace that we're going to be able to see ourselves, but there's going to be some that we don't, that others are going to point out to us. Fifth point. Fifth blessing. We are loved by Jesus. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love We can have hope because it's the same love that God had for his son. The same love that the father had for Jesus is the same love that the son has for us. And there's no distinction. Jesus is God. The father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We, We talk about the Trinity three in one. That same love 
is what we're loved with. Sixth blessing, we have an example in Christ. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So in essence, we have, do y'all like the dummy books? It's like the dummy's guide to, so we have the dummy's guide or the branch's guide to bearing fruit with the Bible. So it's written by the true vine. It's written by Christ. So in seasons of plenty and seasons of doubt and seasons of suffering and seasons of despair, We have God's word that we can turn to. We have God's word that we can run to. And the life of Christ to look upon. You look at Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. He is how we know God. Philippians 2. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. Taking on the cross. He didn't count that shame. He took on the cross for us. That teaches us how to serve one another, even though we don't want to serve. Last blessing. Verse 11. We have a present and eternal joy. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Just like the vine that's pruned produces more fruit as the seasons pass, the the believer grows in joy the longer he abides in Christ. So James 1, 2 through 4 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So as we abide in Him, it's not just that we, we have trials that come about and we don't know how to abide. That may happen the first time, but then the next time we're able to look back on our trial and say, you know what, in the present, even now, I can see... That God was faithful then. That's what we have the word for. I love looking back at, that's why I love the Old Testament. You look at the Old Testament, you can see, you know what? I see how God was faithful to his, to his people, faithful to his promises all the way through. And that helps me have hope that he's faithful to me in the midst of my hardship and heartache. And this joy is not an emotion that comes and goes based on what's happening to us. Like joy is not happiness. Joy does not equal happiness. Happiness is something that can come and go. Like I said, like I was mentioning earlier, like if you, are, if, if you are being pruned, it's okay to ask God those questions. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to do all of these things. Some of us need to be told that. Some of us need to be told that it's okay to ask God, you know what, God, God, why? To be Job for a minute, right? Job wasn't wrong there, but you see what happened with Job at the end. When Job questioned, Job always came back to, like even, in essence, it was, I'm questioning, but I'm always going to turn back because God is faithful. So, so joy is not an emotion. We can face the ups and downs in life with hope in the present working of God and hope in his future workings um, as, as he has promised us. Promised us. That he, has, um, he has promised us so much uh, in the eternity to come. So, thank you.